You're listening to Gibraltar Stories, a podcast in which I hope to share some fascinating stories connected to Gibraltar. My name's Lindsay Weston. I've been living here in Gibraltar for almost 10 years, and during that time I've discovered more and more about this tiny and very special place. Its history, its people, famous visitors, and its role in important events on the world stage. For a steep limestone cliff with an area of just 6.8 square kilometres jutting out into the Strait of Gibraltar, it has a lot of stories to tell. This skull, Darwin held it in his hands and he he talked about the, the magnificent Gibraltar skull. And so it was almost complete, so it was almost giving people an idea of what these people were like and the, how different they were from us. The, the strategic position always matters in terms of how um, others view Gibraltar and the interest that can be gained out of control of, of, of the place. I say it's a microclimate within a microclimate. A microclimate is when you get small changes in a short space and you know Gibraltar itself we know is very different from like Spain it never gets quite as hot as nearby Spain or Morocco never gets quite as cold in the winter there's only been one time that there's ever been an air frost that's been recorded I arrived here and I looked at uh, Marina Bay and I went ah now that's where my the, the, the murderer's yacht is moored and that's where that so and so that flat over in Neptune house um that's exactly, and that's the wrong way, and that's where the chase takes place. So it's wonderful. Hello, and welcome to episode five of the Gibraltar Stories podcast. This week, we're taking a look at the world of fashion. With a career spanning over 30 years in the fashion industry, Dorcas Hammond is a well-known name in Gibraltar. Her dressmaking workshop has created gowns for countless brides and beauty queens ahead of their big moments, none more so than when the then Miss Gibraltar, Cayenne Aldorino, was crowned Miss World in 2009. Dorcas has held fashion shows in London, Marbella, Madrid and Portugal and has won awards for her work. But Dorcas not only creates beautiful clothes, many students have been taught how to make their own clothes by her in her fashion academy, myself included. I went along to her workshop to speak to her about her career, how it all began, her highlights and her hopes for the future. Well, first of all, Dorcas, I have to ask you about your name. When I was growing up as a little girl, my mum had a sewing box and it had Dorcas pins in it. And here you are working in in the dressmaking industry and uh, you have the right name for the job. Yes, um, some people have actually asked me if I've changed my name because of what I do. No, um, um, I was born Dorcas and Dorcas is a, is a name in the Bible. She was a dressmaker and she used to make clothes for the poor. And in the 1800s, they used to have the Dorcas sewing circles and they used to also make clothes for the poor. There was Dorcas symbols, pins, even bedspreads and sheets. Um, so, yes, I'm very proud of my name. <laughs> it's almost destiny then that you had to uh, to follow the career path that you did. Definitely. Um, I was born a Dorcas, really. Since I was very young, I've been doing this. It was a passion, so um, my destiny. So take me back to your childhood. When did you first start sewing? 
Oh my God, I was very, very young. Um, I used to watch my mother sew and she never allowed me to use a sewing machine. So when she left me with my sister, which was five years older than myself, um, I used to tell her, come on, let's go try the sewing machine. It was a foot pedal one. And my sister was always very scared. So I used to go and give it a shot without my mother knowing. And I remember once we even broke a needle and obviously I changed it and nobody heard about my accident. But um, one day the uh, ironing lady came home and says, oh, your mother's not here. I wanted these two sheets sewn together. I said, don't worry, I'll do it. She was like quite um, shocked, really, that this little six-year-old was going to sew these two sheets together. And I did. So when my mother came, she says, look what Dorcas has done. Uh, Dorcas can't use a sewing machine. (laughs) Well, yes, she has. And look how straight she's done it. So my mother found out. Obviously, she didn't tell me off. She was quite proud. And uh, she started teaching me how to embroider, which was what she used to do. But I hated that. My first duck was horrendous. (laughs) So no, no, that wasn't my thing. I started sewing for my dolls. All the scraps that my mother used to leave behind, I would make little things. I remember there was a Pippa doll, which must have been about, I don't know, five, five inches. And I used to make these lovely clothes with those tiny fingers because I'm sure that I can't do it now and I had a huge selection of clothes Um, and when I was about 12 I started buying the Simplicity and Burda patterns and then really is when it started taking off a bit more professional if I may say so. So did you then Did you stick to the patterns that you were cutting, that you'd bought from the shops, or did you start tweaking them to make them more your style and what you wanted to do? Well, when I was 12, I would stick to the patterns, but as I grew up, maybe around about 15, I did start tweaking. And then I would incorporate in the patterns uh, the design I had in my head. I never used to draw the designs at that point. It was always in my head. And I created, but created for myself. Then I was working in um, in a perfumery when I was about 15. And I, people started asking me for clothes. So I started making things for clients. And in between lunchtime, between one and three, I'd sew. And when I got home at seven, I'd sew until 12 o'clock. And I was never tired of sewing. Um, by that time... I was tweaking all the patterns and creating either what the clients wanted or what I wanted. So you were running two jobs effectively at the same time then. You're working the shop as well as your work at home with with the sewing. At what point did the balance tip and you decided to spend much more of your time doing what you love? Well, from the beginning, at 15, I used to tell my mother that I wanted a workshop because I had heard the stories of my great-grandmother that she was a tailor with her mother, um, and they had a workshop. And at the time, it wasn't like the in thing in Gibraltar to have a workshop uh, for dressmaking. People used to sew at home. My mother used to say I was crazy, and she wouldn't allow it. It took a long time. I actually opened my workshop when my kids were a year and a half, and that must have been around... 1990 or something like that 
and that's where I had my first workshop. It was something really odd in Gibraltar. It wasn't a, it was a very new thing. Um, people come to a shop to have something made as opposed to going home. And I guess to, to put the things into context for people who aren't from Gibraltar or don't don't know too much about Gibraltar, I guess when you were a child, the border was closed. So Ooh. the options for going shopping for clothes were quite restricted. So I guess home sewing was quite possibly a lot more popular in Gibraltar than it was elsewhere at that time. Well, definitely. Yes, of course, you had the shops that you would normally have had at the time. But home sewing was like the normal thing. People would go into someone else's house and have things made and the dressmaker would be there sewing all day. Um, And I wasn't going to see it like that. I wanted to have a place where I could create and sew independent of my house. And um, and that I achieved. But my mother used to say I was totally crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So at what point did it change from being self-taught? Because I, I know you, you went off and, and did some courses to uh, kind of build on the experience that you'd already gained yourself. Well, um, I always thought I knew less because being self-taught, you don't know how much you know. It's something quite weird. Uh, when you do a degree, you know you've done your three years degree and you know how much you're worth. But when you're self-taught, you're learning, learning, learning all the time and never think it's enough. And um, in 2000, I think it was, I went to Madrid and I did uh, an haute couture course. Well, I also did industrial pattern cutting. And there I found that I knew loads. (laughs) They offered me a job there as a teacher. And they were quite impressed in the way that I set in my sleeves because I didn't do it their way, I did my way. And when I came back, it wasn't how much I had learned. It was the confidence that I realized that I knew more than them. And when I came back, things changed loads. I was so much more confident. Um, The way I cut the patterns now was so accurate. It was accurate before, but now it was different. Um, I think it had to do with confidence. And I had done like three degrees in a row and I hadn't realized... Uh, how much I had learned during during the the beginnings of my workshop, but when I came back, things things really changed. And you're you're well known locally for producing the most beautiful gowns for um, Mr. Bolter pageants and for weddings and and all sorts of special occasions. Um, I, I personally have seen some of these gowns, being a regular visitor to your academy, um, and they are absolutely breathtaking. The the, the work that you produce. Yes, well, um, I think we specialise in evening gowns. Um, To make a a skirt is okay, but to make an evening gown, it's so much more complicated, but it gives us so much more pleasure. It's more intricate and the challenge is more. And I think that I need challenges in my life. I cannot do the same thing over and over again. And being 30-odd years in business... I think that um, what's kept me going is, number one, that I'm not materialistic. So whether there's more or there's less, I've still kept going. And uh, the next one is the the passion I have for everything that I do. And I evolve. That also has kept me going because if you stick to the same thing year after year, 30 years is 
too many years. But it's always been evolving. At the beginning, it was I want to have a fashion show. And then I did. And then I want to have a dress in the Miss World pageant. And then I did. I want to this and I want to that. And gradually, bit by bit, I've been achieving everything through struggle. <laughs> but I have. And, and it's been evolving all the time until it got to the moment that I uh, started teaching. And that was another part of the evolution of my business. And this is what we're doing a bit now. And how did the teaching side come about? Oh, the teaching side, everybody had asked me, but it never happened. And nine students that were going to go off to uni to do fashion designs asked me, and I said, I have no premises. So they went and asked um, Father Bear from the cathedral if they could um, use Nazareth House, which I had been teaching there to girls in social care. And um, because, obviously, Father Bear knew that, when these girls approached um, Father Bear, he agreed. So we spent, I think it was about two, three years uh, teaching these girls just before they went to uni. So during that time, the word had spread and more people wanted to come, but we couldn't do it in Nazareth House. So the time came that we had to do a full refurbishment in the shop and stick eight desks at, at the back. And then we started teaching from the shop. And gradually the courses have grown and we have more days that we have lessons. And it's such a buzz. And recently we're doing something new. This is the evolution of, of uh, my life, put it that way, is that um, we're doing uh, short workshops. And this is so much fun. And I think it's giving a buzz to everybody generally because there's something new coming out every month or, or twice a month even. And, and that um, is, is a lot of work. It's a lot of work previous to the course or the workshop. But it, it's loads of fun and everybody enjoys it. I guess you're getting new people in through the doors then who, are, who have just got a, a little bit of time spared during their week when they can, you know, come and brush up on their skills they may have for their hobbies or whatever. Well, yes, actually, this, these workshops started because someone asked me to show them how to use a sewing machine. Something that, in my head, it's something so easy, but if you don't know, it's not easy. So we did four workshops of six students each. Now, when we finish with these four workshops, these students say, well, now what? We cannot go into the fashion design course. We cannot go into the home furnishings. Um, what do we do? You've got to do something for us. So I decided to put something together like a little bag, a makeup bag. So that was full. And then we did the Christmas stocking and the tree skirt. And that was full again. And then we've done the recent one, which is very popular, is a bralette and panties um, workshop. Again, that's full. So all this came out just because I was going to teach someone how to use a sewing machine. <laughs> so you've uh, seen an opportunity and you've definitely seized it there. <laughs> well, yes, I have. Um, I never thought I was going to do workshops like this. I l like things which are very organised and structured. Um, still, the workshops are organised. But it changes, and it's changing all the time. And now we have a schedule this year with all the workshops that are going to happen. We're going to have 
um, two every month um, on the first week and on the third week of the month. And um, it's very exciting putting these together and it's given me a buzz as well because all the, all the other workshops, well, the courses are already written. Uh, we have the three books, level one, level two, level three, home furnishings already written. So now this is giving me a, obviously extra work, but an extra buzz too, which keeps me going. Now, you, you alluded earlier on to the fact you always wanted to ha- design a dress that was going to be worn at a Miss World pageant. And, of course, that came with bells and whistles on as well when uh, you made the dress for Cayenne Alderino in 2009. Well, <laughs> that, that was a weird one because um, someone was like, I was like a puppet, God or something or or the energies or well just uh, taking control over me. Um, three years previous to that, I had um, designed a an outfit for uh, Christian Santos, a friend of mine, which was an angel, because his logo was an angel. And on the day that we finished it, we put on the the wings and everything. It, I said, I've got to make this dress with a long skirt and with a slit and um, my staff were there and Christian was there and we said we'll save it for the right moment and um, we'd made little things similar because it was appliqued on on a mesh transparent mesh we made little ones but nothing with this in mind and one day Christian calls me and he says do you want to make a dress they go yeah for you (laughs) And he says, no, um, for Cayenne. I said, but she's not here. He says, don't worry, you can do it. So when we met, he says, I want you to make the dress like my angel. Obviously, I had made this angel and and I am very experienced with applique work. So it really was the only dress I could make in such a short time and especially because she wasn't here. And, and that was because she was already at Miss World, was that? Yes, yes, because um, she had gone into the finals and uh, she had worn um, a dress, a lovely dress that Priscilla Sacramento had made and she'd slimmed down and they asked me to make a different one because she was in the, all the pictures with, the, with that dress. So, well, I, I agreed, but not giving it much thought. I think if I would have thought about it, I would have freaked out. <laughs> and um, and we did, and we did it in a week. Um, I had the lace that had been left over from other appliques um, from a show that we'd done. The mesh I had, and I had to dye in coffee because she was very tanned, so it wasn't good enough. And then... Um, Christian brought the fabric for the skirt and I don't know who brought the crystals so it was all a, a, a mishmash of everybody just putting this together and we made it and the parents took it on the Saturday we didn't even know if she was going to wear it she might not like it she might not it might not even fit I don't know um, but she did she liked it and she wore it and and after that, I cried loads because <laughs> never I was ever going to think that I would be making a dress and it was going to be Cayenne and she was going to be there in the Miss World Pageant and she was going to win. So um, basically, 
Yes, I cried loads. <laughs> I'm not surprised, but how fascinating to hear the fact that you had to dye some of it with coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't believe the things we do here. <laughs> People don't know. But yeah, we, we've had all sorts of stories. I, I, I actually should write a book. <laughs> I think you probably should, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'd make loads of money with a book. <laughs> so would you say that was the, the highlight, the pinnacle of your career then, seeing your dress, with Cayenne wearing your dress and uh, being crowned Miss World? Well... I've had so many highlights in my life. Yes, it's one of them. Um, but it's been 30 years, so I've had all sorts. Uh, loads of stories to tell, uh, loads of important things that I've done. Um, it, was, it, it, it was a very important time. Um, but, yeah, I never thought that I was going to be in that position. This is why I said at the beginning, I was like a puppet being manipulated by some other forces because I don't think I even stopped to think. That's why I cried so much after that. <laughs> <laughs> so what does the future hold for Dorcas Hammond and for your, your workshop and your academy? Really? I don't know. Because I've tried so many different things and some have worked, some haven't worked. Um... I would love to sell my clothes up the coast, exclusive designs. That is one thing that I've always tried and haven't seemed to achieved it. Um, I've had fashion shows everywhere, but uh, we haven't got a shop. That is one thing that I'd like to do. At the moment, we're doing something else, which is we're trying to either sell tutorials online so that is an option within the school um, do these workshops that we're doing we would like to <coughs> at some point have the academy online um, and just grow and just evolve to what makes me happy and my students my sincere thanks go to Dorcas Hammond she's an immensely talented lady and I feel honoured to call her my teacher and my friend if you'd like to see Dorcas's work or sign up for one of her many sewing courses, I will include all her contact details in the show notes for this episode. Thanks go to you too for listening. Don't forget to follow Gibraltar Stories on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and tell me what you think of the podcast using the hashtag Gibraltar Stories. You can subscribe to Gibraltar Stories on iTunes, SoundCloud and Spotify. That way you won't miss out on any new episodes. And if you'd be kind enough to rate and review the podcast, that will hopefully mean that other people should be able to find it more easily in future. I'll be back again next week with another Gibraltar story for you. Until then, bye for now and thanks for listening. Listener.